Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, a show for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and hospital management. Join industry expert and president of VCS, Laura Anderson, as she interviews seasoned and accomplished veterinarians that share their paths and provide insights that can help professionals achieve their career goals. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Ben Olson, who is a neurologist and neurosurgeon at Piper Veterinary, which has locations in Middletown and Madison, Connecticut. He is also the Director of Integration and Technology at the hospital. The primary responsibility is to oversee the use of technology to help and improve clinical workflows in the hospital. Dr. Olson received his veterinary degree from Purdue University College of Veterinary Medicine. He's a member of the ACBIM and AVMA and completed both a rotating internship and a residency in neurology and neurosurgery from the Animal Medical Center in New York. Dr. Olson has special interest in spinal surgery, traumatic brain injury, inflammatory brain disease, and caudal occipital malformation syndrome. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me here. This is great. I'm excited to, to learn more about you and to learn more about Piper. Oh, thank you. So tell me, you finished your residency in 2017, and then what happened? Um, so, you know, in finishing residency, I did the same thing that the most second and third year residents do and, and start interviewing at different hospitals. And, you know, the big question was, you know, where would we move? Would we move out of the Northeast? There is a lot of great opportunities all around. Um, but at the end of the day, there was, um, you know, coming back to, to Piper was, you know, a, a very clear choice for us to do. Um, and it's been a really great experience coming back and, you know, seeing the hospital, how it's grown and then continuing to move forward from there. My first job out of residency is the only job I've had, which is the staff neurologist and director of IT at Piper. Uh-huh. And so um, both myself as a neurologist and then my wife as an internist, um, Dr. Sarah Winslerberg. And so she also trained in AMC, um, then was working in Brooklyn um, at a specialty hospital until we, um, we decided to move out of the city then. I have not been to Middletown, but I understand that it's very beautiful. Yes, it's really grown so much um, because I grew up in, near this area as well. Um, it's really blossomed. It's a college town, but they've, um, you know, I, I've seen it really go through a huge transformation where it's, you know, becoming a bit more of a, a smaller city that still has a, a small town feel. So it's been a really neat, you know, um, experience watching it change and it's, it's really become a great place to to live and work from what i understand you can live on the water you could either live on the connecticut river or on the banks of the of the sound is that correct and still be within a good distance yeah so we're, we're right on, on the connecticut river so a lot of the the doctors and staff kind of you know live around that area and then um we actually i i live more on the long island sound um so you do have that ability to to get you know, kind of closer to New York, New Haven area, um, and still be easily commutable either to Middletown, whereas that's where the the main ER specialty hospital is, um, but then also to our, our Madison location, which is, so Madison's one of the shoreline towns in Connecticut, and we have our urgent care and specialty medicine there too. Okay. And you're about an hour and a half south of Boston and maybe two hours to New York City? Yeah, around that. We're, we're kind of smack in the middle. Um, 
So I think, you know, with good traffic, an hour and a half to two hours in either direction. So when you joined Piper, what was your biggest challenge transitioning from academia to private practice? I got really, really lucky um, on both fronts. And so coming from AMC, it's kind of this mix of private practice in an academic setting. And so I was used to a higher caseload, um, which I, I think was a huge advantage. And then I got really lucky in the sense that I, I came to this hospital that was, you know, just so impressive. And I think I, I, I really, you know, they made the transition very easy, both on the neurology side with just the service being very welcoming and very similar to the type of collaborative environment I was used to at AMC. But then also, you know, the nurses and ICU and everything like that. Um, it, it really made for a, a very easy transition, which I, I, I definitely feel very lucky for. You know, one of the biggest things, you know, coming out of residency, it's always a little nerve wracking because residency never teaches you everything you need to know. Um, you know one of the biggest things I've found is that there's lots of ways to do things, you know, and, and seeing how other people practice, you see, you know, it's, it, you're always continuously learning even after residency. And so, you know, seeing that challenge and trying to decide, you know, what is really important, what's okay to try to, a different way has been something that, you know, I think a lot of recent residents feel just because you're going out of your safe zone from your residency program where you have your mentors, you know, to seeing how other people practice. But it's been an exciting and very, you know, very good experience. And so you joined a team of two other neurologists. Yes, uh, Dr. James Hammond and Dr. Jenny Perkins. They were incredibly welcoming. So can you describe your roles at Piper now? Um, yes, so I, I wear two hats. My primary role is as one of their neurologists and neurosurgeons, and I do practice that full time still. And so we do a good mix of medical neurology um, and then neurosurgery, and, and all three of us do. Um, and so um, I know we'll talk about my day in a little bit, but I think it's something where you know, it's a it's a great mix of that. And then on top of that, I do run our um, integration and technology department. And what that is, is we found that we had this great IT service that we were using, but it was hard to kind of keep them in the loop with all the projects, but then also utilize them to start driving projects in the hospital. And so I came in as a way to manage both the electronic medical records, IT side of things, but then also be kind of the go between between the you know, the nuts and bolts of the IT service, um, and then just utilize that information to help clinical workflows. And so my role is really to help everybody else, you know, work more efficiently and have an easier day. Um, so whether that's, you know, improving the phone tree and working with call center um, to make sure we can triage phone calls correctly and get it to doctors quickly, um, whether that's helping, um, you know, manage the diagnostics from the ER service to make sure people get callbacks. Um, and that it's easy for them to to you um, to manage all that information coming in. You know, my my role is really to make everybody else's life easier um, from the IT side of things, and so it's been really you know a helpful thing for the hospital. Does that include communication with RDVMs yes. and clients, as well as internal communication? So we have a um, referral liaison um, who is our primary point of contact for our referral veterinarians. And so I work with her, um, you know, with the technology to get medical records out um, to make sure that it's the easiest and most efficient way to do things. Um, and then also any other type of outreach we can do, you know, in terms of CE, that's one of the big things we're working on now is how to continue our, our race approved CE 
um, credits to our referral community, make it easy for them to access. Okay. So in your clinical role, how many days a week are you cutting and con- versus consulting? And how many technicians do you have? And, and what does your day look like? The neurology service day is a little unique. And so it's different than most, uh, most other services. Um, but we start our MRIs around five or six in the morning. Um, and this was a practice that was there long before I, I got to Piper, but it's something I've really come to see the value in. Um, but not, I, you know, just so everybody else listening, not every service starts at five or six in the morning. Um, but, and so we get in and we start our MRIs then, and that kind of gives us a jump on the day. And then usually our MRIs run, you know, till nine or 10 in the morning in the scheduled sense. And then we can do them on an emergency basis otherwise. Um, and then I work four days, uh, four days a week on clinics. And so, you know, during that time, all three of us, you know, split the period between when we have surgeries, when we're seeing consults. Um, we have a rotating um, group of technicians that we all kind of utilize throughout the day, but we have about two technicians each when you look at it and divide it up that way. Um, and then, but we, you know, the there's a lot of flexibility with neurology specifically because so many of our um, patients, you know, for surgery specifically are, are a bit on an emergency basis or on a very urgent basis. And so, you know, we, we find that we are good at being flexible throughout the day and splitting in. But, um, you know, I, I'd say we're cutting every day or every other day on average between the three of us. Um, and then always seeing consults or, you know, fitting in um, new consults and requests from referral vets. We have the benefit of the hospital being essentially a seven day a week uh, service, um, especially now during everything that's been going on with COVID. But um, so between the three of us, we actually can get really good coverage on top of, you know, the on-call emergency back surgeries and stuff like that. And what time do you round in the morning? So after getting in and doing the MRIs, we have hospital rounds um, at eight o'clock. And these are primarily for our interns. And so we have um, around seven to eight rotating interns every year. And this is a time for them to go over transfers from the night and maybe not go through every hospital transfer that's coming through, but to have them get really good experience at case presentation, um, you know, how to know what's important, what's not, how to interpret a case and, you know, transfer it to a specialist. Um, and so we do that from eight to eight 30. It's also a good time, you know, if there's not a lot of transfers to go over neat cases, you know, pulling up MRIs or radiographs. And it's a good time for the, all the specialists to come together, um, to, you know, collaborate on cases officially. Um, and then we try to do service rounds around 8.30 um, to, to go over the inpatients and transfers and stuff like that, make any plans for the day. Um, and then most of us start seeing consults at 9 to 9.30. It's a pretty tight timeline, but it works very efficiently. Uh-huh. And so one of the questions I always love to ask surgeons or, or neurosurgeons is about the surgery suite and when you're cutting. And you know, do you listen to a certain type of music? Does everybody have a say? How does that work? Um, I, so I think everyone is different on this. Um, and I, I, so I, I tend to, to mix it up a little bit. I have, you know, my, my kind of generic surgery playlist that I've made throughout the years, um, that I tend to, that's just a huge mix mash of, um, different types of music from, you know, I've been making it since residency. And so I think that's been kind of the, the staple that has a, you know, a mix of things like Martin Sexton, Tom Waits, um, you know, nothing that's too, too high stress, I think. But then um, we do kind of 
allow the staff to to make some requests and kind of help with that. And then most of the times for brain surgery, we were listening to classical music. Kind of sets the tone. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so tell me about Piper as a whole. What does the business model look like? You know, it's evolved a lot because we've been around since 1937 um, when Neil Piper um, started the practice. And then um, when my parents purchased the practice in 1982, you know, we primarily started this as a hub and spokes model. And it's really been defined by what the community wanted. And so, you know, this was a great way to offer affordable veterinary care, kind of the spokes, and then have this hub where we had more intensive care. And it was, so it was, it was an easy evolution then to when we became uh, kind of molded into a 24-hour ER specialty in 2010, you know, because that was you know, essentially what the the pet owners and community were ready for and, and really interested for, for the care of their pets. Um, and so that kind of evolution has been continuing in our hospital where we see the changing world of veterinary medicine and essentially try to you know meet those expectations and then exceed them as we move forward to continue to provide this affordable but really high quality veterinary care to everyone and i think you know we've been here for so long and it's been such a family owned organization that that type of history is is ingrained in, in the community, I think, really is so strong and supportive in that. And I've always gotten the feeling from your father that you really treat everybody like your family. I've always gotten that sense. Yeah, I think that's been a huge strength in our hospital is that we, we have this long history with our employees as well. Um, and there have been people that have grown and evolved, you know, throughout the years into new roles um, for, you know, 20 plus years. And it's really been great to see them, you know, not only mentor people younger or newer than them, but to see them continue to grow and learn on their own as well. And I think that's always been a huge, you know, goal of Piper for doctors, for support staff, nurses, assistants, um, front desk staff all around. Um, and being able to move freely and to continue that personal growth has been a huge, you know, driving factor, I think, in everything we've always done. I remember one of the first things your father told me when, when I, when I first spoke with him and he described Piper, not as a teaching hospital, but a learning hospital. And, um, it just made such an impression on me. One, he was so, he's so passionate about the hospital and everybody there and what you all are doing, but also that, you know, learning is such a, a huge focus and to keep everybody growing. I would think about the differentiation of teaching versus learning. And I, I think, you know, because teaching is not bad, and we are in some ways a teaching hospital. You know, with our interns and our, and we have a, a relationship with our um, the vet tech college nearby. But it's really been the goal of not such a structured, you know, top down type of environment for teaching, but making sure that everybody is allowed to grow and to learn, um, whether that you know be any parts of the staff. Um, and I think that we're right now we're trying to grow our mentorship program for new doctors and stuff like that, but also make sure that, you know, even if you've been here for five, 10 years, that there's opportunities to grow, you know, with technician certifications in, in other areas. And so we try to always be open and supportive to all of our staff for that. And that is a good segue into culture, which is such a big focus this day in veterinary hospitals. How would you describe the culture at Piper? I think very family oriented is, is probably the best way to do it. You know, it's, it's kind of always what we've talked about. And I think that when you start talking about something and continue 
continuously do that. It, it kind of ingrains itself into your culture inherently. Um, but we've been really working at in the very recent future, or I'm sorry, recent past is as we've grown, we want to make sure that we don't lose that family feel. And so that's been a huge benefit to our management team where we've realized that, you know, we want to make sure that communication flows correctly and that every staff member knows not only what's expected and kind of where the company is going, but then also who they can go to for questions or concerns. And that, that structure is something that is, you know, relatively new in the past five years or so, because we've, we found a really a huge need for it to make sure that the culture stays positive and, and kind of everybody feels like they are part of the team. Um, so I think that's been kind of the, the biggest feel with that. Um, we've also started pushing um, or, or getting our management team to have uh, leadership coaching and executive coaching, um, working with a couple different um, outside people. And so really helping them, you know, have the tools to succeed and help manage, you know, the people under them and, and make everyone else succeed also. You made the point that the neurology service starts very early and that is not applicable to the other departments. Is that up to the department, Ben, or how are their schedules determined? So we try to be pretty flexible um, with individual doctors. You know, I think just like in residency and, you know, studying for boards, everybody learns differently. Everybody works differently. And I think everybody excels differently. And so I, I we really try to have some customization built in. Um, in terms of how doctors start their day, how busy it is, is it more loaded in the front half of the day and the, in the back half when they want to do surgeries? And then, you know, they then work with support staff management to make sure that there's adequate coverage and stuff like that. But we try to be not as strict because one of the benefits to working at, you know, a family owned private practice is you don't have that like uh, a corporate structure that you have to adhere to. And we try to really make sure our doctors feel like they have some autonomy in their day, you know, so that they, cause they know how they succeed best. Right. Exactly. And so you've mentioned this is a family owned private hospital. Who makes up the management team? So our management team, um, we have two hospital directors, one for primary care and one for ER specialty. Um, and then two medical directors kind of divided up in the same way. Um, and then they're part of a leadership team with myself. Um, and then, uh, Tessa, who is our CEO. Um, and so that's the primary team. And then there's a management team below that, which includes marketing, um, as well as support staff management and a couple other, um, like, uh, HR and then finance. And then it spreads down kind of below that, almost like a Christmas tree, you know, it gets wider and wider. And that's where then you have, you know, specific department leads, um, and then supervisors. And, um, that way everybody knows kind of the structure of everything and how, you know, they're supposed to get information um, and then also who they can go to for help. But I do think that, you know, because we're kind of a boots on the ground uh, organization where everyone is, you know, in the facility, in the hospital, it's not so strict that you can't go, you know, move one or two up the ladder in terms of that to go to your, that supervisor, if you have a real big concern or if you need some advice on something. Um, and I think, that's a huge benefit to the company because it, information flows a lot better that way. And I think everybody feels more comfortable, you know, with the decisions that are made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, communication is, is key. And if it's right, you know, down the hall, it, it makes it so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it does. 
So if Piper's hiring a, a new specialist, new emergency doctor or a new technician, are there certain qualities that that you all look for? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think it's it's one of the, the most important thing that I've found that's important to, you know, not only the business sense, but also to the other doctors in the hospital um, is a collaborative environment. And the that's been, I think, hands down the most important aspect we've found in the doctors that really thrive in this environment is, you know, it's fast paced. It's there's a, there's a lot of work to do, which is great. But at the same time, we all succeed so much better um, if we interact in a way that is collaborative. And we have the same kind of goal in mind for the patient, and for the client. Um, so I think that's, you know, finding a doctor that wants to work in an environment where you can easily go to another specialty and ask their opinion or ask them to look at a case, you know, and that goes for, um, you know, all the ER specialties also with general practice. Um, it, it's really as a whole, that, that family mentality is really ingrained into that doctor interaction too. And I think that's really important for the type of doctor that would want to work at Piper. Um, on top of, you know, just being a great problem solver and, and hardworking and all the other things, I think that is pretty, pretty common in a lot of the hospitals. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest one. Over the past year, you, you bought a, or Piper bought a C-arm. Any other big things that have happened at Piper since 2017? There's been a lot of changes. So the C-arm um, and definitely getting Flora running both with uh, orthopedics, also internal medicine. Um, ha- ha- that's been a great addition. We um, we upgraded our CT to a 64 slice um, right in 2017, right before I got there. So utilizing that in a trauma sense, but then also um, for other surgical and IM cases has been really helpful. Um, we've vastly expanded our ICU and critical care um, with the addition of two criticalists. And so now we have uh, mechanical ventilation, um, and then wireless telemetry. So you have your ECGs wirelessly uh, monitored, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, and then the biggest IT side of things is we moved to a cloud-based EMR system and electronic medical record, I'm sorry, electronic treatment sheets. Um, and that's been a huge um, benefit, both in efficiency in the hospital, you know, less paper, more digital but then also allowing doctors to do a lot of their work on their time, either from home um, and stuff like that. So I think that's been a huge change over the past year and a half. Um, And then in terms of services to the public, we've expanded our urgent care, um, both in the big facility in Middletown, and then also at uh, one of our satellites in Madison. And the urgent care model has been helpful to kind of, you know, take a little bit of pressure off the ER and let them work with more critical cases and then for the you know the the less critical kind of just convenience type appointments that we still want to you know provide a service for urgent care seems to be a great way to to you know decrease wait times and to kind of you know make them kind of move to a different area of the hospital um, which has been great that's a great uh concept i'm not sure how common that is in the specialty side of things. Do you know? Um, I think it's becoming more and more common. I know definitely in cities, you know, that type of, you know, either subscription mentality um, or, you know, just very uh, on, on, you know, the client's schedule, you know, when they want to come in to deal with the problem, it's becoming a lot more popular. You know, I think the, the benefit of having it adjoined to an ER specialty is that sometimes it's not actually an urgent matter, but it's an emergency. 
and it's it can be hard to differentiate that. And so, you know, if you're in the big hospital, that's easy. You just move to the emergency department. Um, if you're in our Madison location, we actually have an ambulance um, that we transport animals in that has oxygen um, and everything else in it, and that's a free charge to our clients. And so that's how we've you know helped make sure that we have a great urgent care facility that's you know kind of in a, a quieter area um, in Madison. But at the same time, we're not compromising any, any care. And the moment something needs to get shipped up, we can do it on the drop of a hat. Gosh, that must be such a huge comfort to your clients when their pet is in distress. For me, that would be huge. Yeah, it's one of those things where I wasn't sure how much it would be used. And it's been a really positive, um, I think, thing that we can offer. And, and clients really appreciate that, you know, that you know, it's similar to human medicine where we have this ambulance that's parked right outside the urgent care facility. And so if, if something needs to happen, going up to the 24-hour emergency is, is very easy to do. And so what kind of community outreach is, is Piper involved in? So we've had a strong community outreach for a long time, um, both focused on rescues and, um, you know, fostering programs throughout Connecticut, um, as well as with the state police dogs. Um, and, you know, helping them with managing all their care. And then also with the education side of things being the clinical part of uh, that tech program at one of the community colleges. And so, you know, I think that type of outreach, one, helps the community, but also, you know, keeps us involved and in, in gives us better insight into what's important and what people are, you know, are, are looking for. We've also, um, in the past two years, started what's called the Piper Foundation. And that's a program for a community that um, is essentially a fund that you can donate to for, um, that can be used for pets that have a, a, a good prognosis, but for financial reasons are having trouble, you know, getting that care. And so that fund is, um, you know, is something that all the doctors have access to and um, it's something that we can use that's really been helpful, especially in this time. Um, to, to help go, give good care to pets, um, you know, when, when people maybe they, they can't afford exactly right then and there. It's a discretionary fund. Is there a board of directors or employees that determines where and how the money goes? So we do have a board that is, you know, kind of overseeing the fund. But at the same time, a lot of these we find are, you know, they kind of need to happen on an emergency basis or a somewhat emergency basis. You know, it doesn't always, it always happens at like a Friday at nine o'clock at night. Um, so there is a lot of um, lead way with the specialists. And as if the doctor feels like this really fits the fund, you know, there's not a lot of red tape, which is really nice. Um, and we found that there hasn't been a problem with it being overused. You know, I think people do respect it um, and have followed the, the protocols that have set up. So there's an overseeing board, but I think the, the easier we make something like this to use, you know, the, the more help we can give to pets. And I would think it would just be so rewarding and encouraging for your doctors and your technicians and your staff to know that you've got that because everybody cares and this animal that might not be able to, to get the care it needed can get it. And, uh, and that's why we're in this, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Even though the doctors are the, the client facing side of this a lot of times, you know, the staff have such a connection um, and are so involved in the success of every clinical case that goes through, that it is important that, you know, they, they see that, um, that we're able to support them. And they, they see these cases get better, you know, when there's not a financial um, hurdle to go over. So I, I think to, to show that we're, 
you know, we want to be able to provide that care for other pets too, I think is a, is a huge thing. Absolutely. I would have to agree. I know for me, it would be just, just a huge benefit and just make me you know, feel so good about working at Piper. Exactly. And it's something where that we also, you know, I think that people in this area, you know, it's nice to donate to something like that, um, where you know that your dollars are going to be used to help your neighbor or to help, you know, somebody in the surrounding town when they're in need, you know, they, they see the benefit to that. And we do try to showcase some of those cases to the public too, to show them what their funds are being used for. Ben, what's on the horizon for Piper? So we're continuously growing. I, I think that we have kind of these short-term goals, which a lot of this right now is looking inward um, and helping grow with the leadership training, executive coaching of our management team. And then also, you know, really continuing to grow the mentorship program for doctors that um, that we hire. And then on the outside of that is, you know, especially right now is improving the client experience as we move to more digital um, interactions. And, and I think especially with the social distancing, trying to see how that's going to evolve over the next, you know, couple of months to even beyond that and how we can continue to provide exceptional care, you know, both for patients, but then also for the clients that are a lot of times going through quite a stressful experience. And so we, you know, as the world's changing, we want to make sure that we're ahead and, and really, you know, directing it to make sure we can make the, the right choices to give the best experience for everyone. Um, and then I think longer term than that, it's continuing to find ways to provide what our community wants for their pets. You know, and I think listening to what their their goals are and how to help them give, you know, the best care for their pets is is really what our goal has always been to provide that high quality, affordable care. Um, and so I think that we've always continuously tried to find new areas that fulfill those needs and and really listen to the voices around us. So as far as services that you can offer and outreach avenues like that, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, on the digital side, you know, increasing our patient portal usage, just making life easier for our clients, you know, if only to see what medications they were prescribed or to interact with their doctors easier. We've started doing a lot of more telemedicine. And so anything we can do to make that experience easier for clients, but also, you know, help our staff have the tools to provide that high quality care is really the goal and always has been. Well, thank you, Ben. This has been wonderful. I did not realize that Piper was founded in 1937. That was a fascinating fact to me. Yeah, thank you. This has been really fun. Yeah, and I hope um, just knowing knowing your parents and and having met you, and it just sounds like it's going to be a great uh, great future. Yeah, we have um, we have big plans, and we're we're excited for what's coming up. So definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you for speaking with me, and uh, I'm excited to hear more. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss an episode. For feedback, questions, discussion topic requests, or if there is anything we can do for you, feel free to contact us at laura at vetcareerservices.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast.